0: It's good to be together, church. Let me read our scripture for us today, Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So who gets to come over to your house? I'm guessing, like for many of us, it's probably a pretty short list right now. And in, in fact, in many ways, like COVID is sort of like this, this magical excuse to get out of really anything you don't want to do, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to have weird cousin so-and-so over anymore, that friend who thinks they're closer than they really, I'm sorry, we're social distancing, right? That's all you got to do. It shuts it right down. Of course, if my, if my internet breaks, I would fill my house with strangers just to make it happen, right? We're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of like this. I love this. If your pizza. Amazon or Ryan Gosling, I'm home, right? We have a very, a very careful, careful list. And no, like I'm not, anybody else is like, well, you know, we're just being really careful right now. And no, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we selfishly use the pandemic uh, to our own ends. You know, don't do that too much, right? But for many of us, an invitation into somebody's home is way more exclusive than it used to be, Right? it's kind of a special list. It's a big deal. I actually had a dream last week, but Jeff Bezos had me over to his house. That was kind of weird. We hung out. Um, You know, Amazon guy, right? You guys, yeah, okay, you're with him. Or or like imagine, I would definitely say yes, by the way, uh, COVID or no COVID, if he invited me over. Or like imagine if, if Mahomes was handing out invitations and be like, yes, yes, please, of course, right? So who... Who gets to come over your house? Internet guy, yes. Weird, crazy relative, no, right? We would learn a lot about each other by the people we invite into our homes, wouldn't we? And back in the first century, hospitality was a really big deal. Pandemic or no, right? It was a really big deal. And we could learn a lot about Jesus the people he chooses to visit and so let me ask it like this would Jesus come over to your house think about it would he would you make it on his list if you haven't already turn to, to Luke chapter 19 Let me me set the context again for us just a little bit. So we began studying Luke all the way back in 2019, uh, and we're calling these these final chapters Rediscovering Jesus' Kingdom. Because yes, Jesus came to save us. Yes, absolutely. But he also came to rule us. Like now and forever. Jesus is our King. And this this story in particular, it might be familiar to some of you. In fact, some of you might be humming a little song about a wee little man, right, as we go through this. But there, there is something deeply profound happening here and we need to wrestle with two questions in particular whose house does the king go to and what happens to us when the king gets there those are the two questions for today so first whose house does the king go to well, you may have picked up on this. We've been studying Luke for long enough. Like with Jesus, it is almost always the person you would least expect, right? That's kind of his, his mode. He, he doesn't go to the people we would anticipate him going to. And, and in the previous passage, uh, Reed talked about this last week. It's the poor blind beggar who, who Jesus spends time with, right? He doesn't go to his house, but he, he visits him. He spends time with him. He's an unwanted outcast. But that's exactly where Jesus goes. This is really the same story. Zacchaeus is another unwanted outcast, but he's a different kind of outcast. Okay, he's not a a blind beggar. Instead, actually, he's rich and powerful. He is a chief tax collector, which back then was basically the worst kind of human you could be. He's a political traitor. He's a nightmare. I mean, you think, you think our politics are a mess. Our mess. So like, let me even just set a little context here. So uh, for those of you who don't know, like the Romans at this time period, they, they'd taken over Israel and oppression is expensive. And so they taxed the Israelites and everybody hates taxes, but they're literally funding their own impre- oppression. Think about that. Like, here, here, oppressor, here's money so you can oppress me more. Like, nobody wants to do that. And, and so the Romans hired Israelites to do their dirty work. And so these, these tax collectors would go to their own friends and neighbors collecting the tax. And they were allowed to keep a little extra for themselves. Think about that. They're helping their oppressors. They're taking money from their own people. And they're getting rich in the process. Like, can you imagine hating anyone more than Zacchaeus, right? Everybody hates him. So even just think for a moment, like, who, who's on your list, right? Like, who do you hate? Or dislike? you know, we're too, we're too nice to say hate. But we, you know, we got our list, don't we? The people that you want nothing, nothing to do with, picture them. Picture them. That's who Jesus chooses to visit. Last week, Kelly and I were, were driving uh, separate cars, separate places. Uh, she was uh, with the kids, and we were on speakerphone uh, talking to one another. And in the midst of the conversation, right in the middle of it, I hear screeching tires and the three people I love most in the world screaming. And there's nothing I can do in that moment. I don't even know what's going on, and find out later, she was, it was a hit and run, um, She swerved, and so they're okay, it's fine. Very, very little damage because she swerved just just in time for this. But like, I'm I'm hearing all of this. Screeching tires, screaming loved ones, and there's nothing I can do. And when Kelly finally catches her breath, enough to tell me how this person just drove off. Like, I I don't have words to describe the white, hot rage I felt in that moment. And now imagine, him or her, or that person that's on your list, all chummy with Jesus over dinner. Anybody else just a little bit ticked? Whose house does the king go to? He goes to the house no one else would want to go to. He he doesn't go to the person with the right politics or the perfect morals or better driving records. He goes to the tax collector. Let me read it again, starting with verse 2. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He's like the worst of the worst. He's the boss of of all the terrible humans, right? That's basically what they would have thought. And he was rich. Zacchaeus is desperate to see Jesus. I mean, even to the point of, of climbing a tree, right? Here, here's a picture of a, of a sycamore. A f- sycamore fig tree is most likely what it was. Climbs a tree, and that like that is so undignified, especially for a person of his stature in that culture. This is like culturally unthinkable. But he just doesn't care. Again, it's a it's a sycamore fig tree. I mean, why does Luke bother to tell us that? I mean, other than the obvious that. You know, good humans love trees and talk a lot about them, right? We know that. That's... Other than that, why does he tell us a sycamore tree? Well, I think, I think two reasons in particular. Two reasons. One is because of the low branches, right? And he's, he's told us that Zacchaeus is a wee little man. Didn't say it quite like that. But he's small. So how did he get up there? So these, these low branches, so they're, they're able to, to sort of prop himself. He's not high up in the tree, but he's up there. But there's another reason I think scholars point to this These these sycamore fig trees also had really dense leaves, really dense foliage. And you can't help but wonder if part of the reason he's up there, he wants to see Jesus, but I'm not sure he wants to be seen by Jesus. And he certainly doesn't want to be seen by the crowds, the people that he knows despise him. I think in part he's up there because of his shame, mingled with his curiosity. You know, there's another story in the Bible where two people hide behind fig leaves because of their shame, right? Adam and Eve, remember? And God comes looking for them. But this story turns out differently. Because it's almost almost like Jesus goes right to him. Like his his hiding doesn't work, and Jesus knows his name even. Do Do you see that? He calls him by name. He draws all this attention. I I think Zacchaeus is hiding. And Jesus says, I'm coming over. He invites himself over, and Zacchaeus in that moment, it's like he forgets his shame, isn't it? And he receives Jesus joyfully, it says. And so why, why does the king of the universe pick this train wreck of a human? Well, Jesus knows that we're asking that question, right? So were his disciples. So was everybody in the crowds. And so he tells us, verse, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Some of you know that I, I love hiking. Um, and I have been to all of the best places around here so many times. Like, I could draw you a map right now if you wanted. I'm not bragging. It's weird. But I... I could do that, right? And so sometimes when I'm in these, these places hiking, I will see others who don't look quite as confident, right? Frankly, sometimes they look like they regret that they left the house and went outside at all, right? Some of them are, are lost, right? And, and, if I'm, and if I'm feeling particularly kind, so not very often, uh, but if I am, I will say, hey, can I? you, you look confused. Can I help you? And if they, if they are lost, like, they're going to hang on every word, right? And I'm going to help them, and they're going to be appreciative, and it's going to be fun for both of us, right? I'm happy to help. But if I tried to, like, just, like, do the same thing with those who don't want my help, like, even if, even if they're lost but don't know it yet, they don't want that. That would be an irritation to them. Like, it would be a waste of my time and theirs. They would want nothing to do with me. And this is why Jesus goes to the lost. They know they need him. Jesus goes to those with nothing to offer. Who know how desperate they are. And if that describes you this morning, good news. That is why Jesus came. You are why Jesus came. So would he go to your house? I can't answer that question for you. But I can say this. He goes to those who know they need him. And I can also say, if he has been to your house, it'll be obvious. Because no one is the same when the king comes over. And that's really, if you take just one thing from our time together this morning, I hope it's that. No one is the same when the king comes over. And so that's our second question. Like, what happens when the king goes to your house? Because, again, Zacchaeus he, Zacchaeus, he knows his shame, right? Whether he's hiding or not, he knows what it's like to be despised by everyone around him. He, he's, he's filled with shame. He, he climbs a tree, right? And Jesus embraces him in his shame. Jesus isn't surprised by a shame, isn't, isn't thrown off by it. Actually, he takes G, Jesus takes Zacchaeus' shame upon himself. I mean, the comments of the crowds, those are shaming statements to Jesus. They're trying to shame him. How could you, right? Jesus, he can take it. He's not worried about that. He, Jesus pursues him anyway. And when Jesus meets us in our shame, our place of greatest need, and we feel our shame beginning to lift, Zacchaeus will never be the same. Look look again at verse 8. So Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. When the king comes over, four things happen. When the king comes over four things first when the king comes over we redefine what's normal we redefine what's normal this is subtle here but i think it's really important especially today because you see we we have no indication from the story that zacchaeus quit his job I mean, he tells jesus everything he's going to do in response to this but he doesn't say i'm gonna, i'm gonna quit he doesn't, he doesn't start a nonprofit. He doesn't become a pastor. He doesn't find something a bit more socially acceptable. Instead, it seems, he becomes a different kind of tax collector. He rejects industry standards in order to do what's right. Because in, in his industry, like it was okay to do a little defrauding. It was okay to collect a little bit more than required. Everybody did it. It was normal but once you've met the king normal isn't good enough anymore i just can't help but wonder what our world would look like if those of us who are christians refused to settle for normal normal at work at school at home in our relationships because it's, it's normal to be a jerk on social media It's normal to demonize the people you disagree with. It's normal to use violence to express yourself. It's normal to separate people and to judge. It's normal to live for comfort and pleasure. It's normal to believe that your desires matter more than anything else. It's normal to look at porn and objectify people. It's normal to make purchases with zero concern for the people behind them. It's normal as parents to make our children's success our number one priority, financial success. It's normal to to cheat, lie, gossip. I mean, it it was normal for Zacchaeus to extort. But if you've met this new king, normal doesn't work anymore. Love. That's our new law. Just, like, imagine if Christians actually lived like this. Not, Not fleeing our spaces of influence not not running from the places. I mean, there's darkness in, everywhere we go, right? There's, there are industry standards in everything that can be corrupt and demeaning. It's not quitting our jobs or whatever. It's, it's redefining what's normal when we're there. How would that change your industry? How would that change your world? So church, when, when the king comes over, we redefine what's normal. That's the first thing. Second, when the king comes over, we work to make it right. We work to make it right. You can't miss this. It's not enough for Zacchaeus to say, I'm really sorry, please forgive me. Right? It's not enough. I'll do better next time. No, he also works to undo his past mistakes. Verse 8, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, above and beyond. Right? And here's the deal. Sometimes we think saying sorry is enough. Trying harder next time is enough. It's not not less than those things. And sometimes that is all that we can do. True. But if we've we've hurt someone and it is within our power to restore, we do it. Like if, if there's money you owe, repay it. If you've hurt someone's reputation, do your best. Do the hard work and step in to rebuild. If you've lost trust, be patient. And doing the work to renew it. Are there there any people in your life or collectively that you can do something about the wrong that's been done to them? That you can bring repair. For when the king comes over, we work to make it right. It's what we do. Third, when the king comes over, we bring joy to our community. I love, I love this in in this story. We bring joy to our community. Because, like, think about this. Like, Zacchaeus becomes a Christian, and who benefits? Not just Zacchaeus. I've I've been forgiven, my shame is gone, praise Jesus. I mean, yes, of course, that's there. But Zacchaeus' salvation is not just for him. His salvation is also for his community. Like you you can't miss that. Verse 8, right? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He didn't know the poor. But he knew, he he now saw his obligations in the world differently. Because he recognized that he was a citizen of a new kind of kingdom. See, church, we're we're so individualistic as a culture, right? That, that we, I mean, let's be honest, we've, we've, we've tended to make salvation purely about me and Jesus. That's what it is, like me and Jesus. And it is, it's like, it, it involves you and Jesus. There's no doubt about that. And yet, you have to remember, Jesus is also a king, And we are citizens now, even now, of his kingdom. And citizenship comes with responsibility and with opportunity. Jesus didn't save you just for you. He saved you for your neighbors, for your family, your coworkers and clients, your classmates. He saved you for the people that you may not even care about at this point. And when Jesus comes over, Everyone around you benefits. In fact, there's this strange strange little proverb. It's almost puzzling when you read it. It's Proverbs 11.10. It says, it says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Like, isn't that, isn't that strange? Like, why would the city rejoice when righteous people prosper? Because the righteous know. They know that they're prospering their good fortune, their wealth, their influence, that it's not just for them. That God blesses us to be a blessing to others. And one of the clearest evidences of whether or not you've met this king, ask yourself, are the people around me better off? Do they rejoice because of me? If the king visits your house, it will bring joy to the entire community. Church, is that true of us? Finally, finally, when the king comes over, we experience salvation. Can't miss it, right? Well, so let me remind us, we, we redefine what's normal, we work to make it right, we bring joy to our community, and we experience salvation Not because we've done all the right things. Not because Zacchaeus now checks all the right boxes, right? It's because he has met Jesus in faith. And the the evidence of his faith is a life that will never be the same. So Jesus said in verse 9, right? Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. No one is the same when the king comes over. And so church, let let me just ask again. Would Jesus come over to your house? Do you recognize your need? How desperate you are? Do you think you're you're good enough, right? You've got this, you're gonna figure out life on your own. Would he come over to your house? Do you know how needy you are? Does that describe us? And if so, have we experienced this kind of transformation? Is Jesus really our King? Not just our mascot, but our King? Are we submitting to Him, to His rule? Do we recognize that our salvation is not just for us, but for our world? Is that what the church is known for? Yeah, but Nathan, who actually does this? Outside of weird Bible characters named Zacchaeus, right? People who have met the king do this, actually. In fact, I heard a story just recently from some of our ministry partners, a ministry named Ilam. They work in the Middle East. They're partnered most directly with our Leewood campus, so we don't hear quite as much about them here. But when they were with us recently, they told a story about a Taliban warlord. I'm not making this up, okay? About a Taliban warlord. And a Christian who was invited over to this man's house. I mean, first of all, pass, right? I mean, no, like it's terrifying, right? And, and yet this Christian saw an opportunity and he actually had the courage to go. And he told this Taliban warlord about Jesus. About this king Who knows him and loves him so much so that he came here to rescue him, to free him from his guilt, his sin, his shame, all the things that that plague him, who died and rose again, even for him. And this man believed. He actually he received Jesus. And, And what's so fascinating to me, yes, that it happened. That I mean it blows me away. But his his response, and this is this is the part that, as they were telling this story, I mean it's just it's remarkable, his immediate response. Was to send people out of kind of his compound and find the landowners of all the land he had ever stolen. Nobody told him to. Like nobody said you have to do this now that if you're gonna Jesus is gonna take you. Nobody nobody told him. But he had he had met this king and people were shocked, amazed, and as a result, they also heard about King Jesus. And just imagine the impact on that community. And now imagine what would happen in Olathe or Kansas City and beyond. I don't think we have any Taliban warlords here, do we? No, I don't think so. And yet, what if we were all so changed by this king? Just imagine what God could do. No one is the same when the king comes over may he visit each of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we long for this. And so I pray that even in this moment we would feel our deep desperation. Give us a sense of our lostness, our neediness. Show us how We have nothing to offer you. And yet you still want to come over to our house. So I pray that we would respond with joy and delight. And that in so doing, nothing about us would ever be the same. Not least of all the people around us. The ones we love and the ones we're supposed to love. May you change us in such a way that it so deeply impacts our community that nothing can ever be the same. And together that we could revel in this kingdom in your glory that is coming and yet that is already here and we get to taste it now. Do that work in each of us we pray in Christ's name, amen.